All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here alongside Anthony Pine of RT Sport Online. We're also joined by ex-Ireland international Keith Tracy and former Dundalk manager Vinnie Perth. We'll be talking League of Ireland later on, but obviously the place to start is the much-anticipated Euro 2024 qualifier between Ireland and France last night, which the French won 1-0 thanks to a Benjamin uh, Pavard goal. And uh, Anthony, I suppose coming into this game, and especially having watched a bit of France uh, against the Netherlands on Friday night, there was a bit of trepidation coming into this uh, first qualifier for Ireland. But in the end, it seems the mood music is quite positive at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, there was there was trepidation in the wake of the game against Latvia, and then obviously, as you say, watching how well France played against the Dutch. But you know, when you look back on it now, a lot of it was sort of um, misplaced because the Latvia game was effectively a training match to prepare for last night, have a look at some new players, and give everybody a little run out and maybe try a couple of things tactically. Last night was a brilliant atmosphere. They're playing against arguably the best international team in, in the world, certainly in Europe at, at the moment. Albeit they were missing a few players, but they, they have such unbelievable depth that they, they can lose a few of their stars and they're still overloaded with these quality players all operating at the top clubs in, in Europe. And, you know, Ireland were always going to be super tuned in and focused for that match because you, you have to be. like You can't, like, if you look at the two goals they gave up against Latvia, I never expected them to make to be sloppy like that because when you're playing such quality, you know, you just, everybody knows you can't afford to take little risks or gambles. You just clear your lines in certain situations. Now, in the end, the game was won by that, the goal by Pavard, which did come from a sloppy pass from Josh Cullen. But overall, I thought Ireland were, were very good. You know, I think they, they got the game plan correct, in my opinion, because, you know, the Dutch got it horribly wrong on Friday and the game was done after 20 minutes. They were They were way too open way too open and uh, got caught in transition all the time, got rinsed, taken to the cleaners by France. They subdued Mbappe as well as anybody, you know, in his last 61 games. Andrew Kinnean tweeted this out, so I, I won't take credit for this, but in his last 61 games for a club and country, there's only two teams that have stopped him having a shot in target. England were one at the World Cup and Ireland were the other last night, so they did a really good job on him. Uh, could have nicked the point at the end, which would have been an unbelievable result. Um but on they go to Greece now, which is a very different challenge and actually a bigger game because they have to go there and win. But I think like they, they come out last night with a lot of credit, uh, quit themselves very well against a really, you know, a brilliant team. And I mean, uh, you know, look, I, I actually wasn't at the, at the stadium last night. It certainly seemed to be like a big occasion. Other two lads were and they'll give more insight on that. But it, it seemed like a great occasion, great atmosphere. You know, no points in the end, but they'll come away with, I think, confidence from it and some credit in the bank yeah let's listen to what Stephen Kenny thought but he was speaking to Tony O'Donoghue at full time we're disappointed to lose the game you know I think it's uh, you know when we're playing someone of the quality of France who are you know the top team in the world one of the top teams in the world you need to create a game a few chances like we they didn't really have any chances before they scored even though they had sustained periods of play I thought we defended very well and um, so again it's an unbelievable strike from Pavard but we're disappointed with the goal of course but up to that point there was no no chance to concede it I felt we rallied strongly and the players gave everything like gave everything pushed France all the way they were relieved to get 
out here with a win and um, obviously we had some chances in the last 10 minutes and so, uh, we needed Gavin to make to, pl to make two saves but a couple of saves their goalkeeper made particularly the second one you know was saved the season you know to stop Nathan's header and uh, that was disappointing because you know we, we would have wanted to take something from the match and we're disappointed not to was it the game you expected? Was it the game you'd been imagining as, as soon as the draw was made? Yeah, yeah, although they pressed higher tonight than they've ever pressed. They, they, they pressed us higher than, than, than they, any of the matches in the World Cup, for example. Um, and, uh, but we dealt with it fine, you know. I tell, we, we dealt with all of that fine. They put a lot of pressure. Obviously, they're quite athletic. Um, and then Chidozi was an option for us on the right, and he caused... He caused a lot of problems for the French. Uh, and was that know, something that you had targeted that side? Well, I think he's a great outlet for us in in a situation like that, and he caused problems for for most people. But when you can isolate him one on one like that, he he is a handful for any any defence. So he did very well uh, as he grew into the game. You know, as he grew into the game. But listen, uh, the players give everything of themselves. I can't. You know, it is a you know it's a campaign now. You know we've. We've six points to play for in June, and uh, it's uh, disappointing to lose uh, tonight. But the players give absolutely everything to themselves, perform well on the night. I felt. All right, so that is Ireland manager Stephen Kenny speaking to Tony O'Donoghue after last night's one nil defeat. Uh, Vinny, in terms of the balance uh, of the Irish team and that sort of mix of pragmatism off the ball, but also uh, trying to be progressive in possession, like how happy were you with what you saw from your vantage point? Yeah, I think um, I think tactically Ireland. I must say, I thought they, they were spot on. I think the back five that started, I expected them to start. Um, I know uh, Adele got picked up an injury, but I just felt he would go for that experience. I've seen Seamus Coleman play against Martinelli recently, uh, particularly in the Goodison game, um, and he's done a really good job. He's in fine form, probably the best form he's been in about two or three years. So I always felt Seamus Coleman would start, and I think that meant. Matt already moved to the other side, uh, but the um, I suppose Albania played in that position where he was he, he was playing a little bit narrow and he, he was dropping in and and basically he became a five four one at times. So um, that's probably what I expected. I thought there was a chance he might have put someone like a small bone into that position to give you a bit more running power, but he didn't, and it was a brave decision and. Um, and I think that's where France are at, at the weakest. I've seen that because of the position Mbappe plays high up and he sort of cheats. They go into a 4-4-2 shape and he stays high on the left that inevitably you end up in a 1v1 situation. Um, if, you, if you're going to be ultimately brave, um, Coleman, Coleman didn't really go beyond Mbappe. He sat in there um, and if he had done that, you could have got some 2v1s in wide areas. But there's a risk with that. We've seen that Back in the World Cup with Poland, uh, Matty Cash was very, very good on the day. He got a lot of crosses into the box um, and they just lacked a little bit of quality Poland in the final third. And then there was one time Matty Cash crosses and within literally 10 seconds, the 1-0 down because Mbappe had cheated. So there's fine balances and it's difficult to get that right. But tactically, I must say the staff and the manager... I, I felt done a really, really good job on what was required. It wasn't exactly what he said before the game, but managers don't often tell the truth before games when it comes to tactics. 
Yeah, and Keith, just on the battle to stop Mbappe on that side. So obviously, as Vinny said there, you know, Seamus Coleman heavily involved and the stat, of course, that Anthony mentioned at the beginning in terms of preventing um, shots on target, which is a rare thing when Mbappe is involved. But, you know, the onus there and how Ireland did it between Coleman, I guess, Ogbené coming back and also the right side at centre-back, like, just how did they do that? Yeah, with Coleman, uh, it was it was a real team effort. I know Coleman was the one who was getting into Mbappe's face, but it, it was a team effort. And so many times, Mbappe got the ball. And as an Ireland fan, you, you're fearing the worst. You think, don't open your legs. It's the last thing we wanted. And I think I've seen him go into a sprint about four, four maybe five times. He never really opened his legs and tried to hurt Ireland. And I know we had numbers, but we set the tone really well with him. If you remember, I think it was the... Uh, Maybe the fourth minute of the game, he had the ball wide on the left and he chopped inside and Abbele got right in front of him. Actually left a little bit of a forearm and he's a little bit rough and won a foul. And I think Mbappe after that just didn't really want to know. And Look, Seamus was really good because rather than letting him get a bit of speed up and getting into him, Seamus was going to make the contact straight away and Nathan was coming around. So if he did try and kick it and run, Nathan was five yards behind Seamus and always ready to mop up. But marching him really, really well, we did. And but there was a brilliant performance. It, it, it wasn't a great attacking performance, but defensively, it was everything we wanted. We got the passion, desire, work rate, energy, everything we wanted. That now has to be the platform to build on. If we work like that against every single team that comes to the Aviva home when we go away, if we have that work rate, the endeavour will come. We will get that little bit of Will Smallbone on the half phone, people like that, Mikey Johnson coming in. We are getting little bits of talent. Emma Ferguson is obviously going to become a big, big player for us. So I would just be saying, lads, the walk rate, the walk rate, the walk rate. If we keep that walk rate and we have them, we play in good areas. And let's be honest, there wasn't an awful lot of goal mount action. There wasn't an awful lot in the game. It was just that bad pass by Josh Cullen. If he doesn't play that side with pass, and again, like he has to realise that's Pavard. That's the French right back who gets that in the edge of our 18 yard box. So there's a big, big hole where he should be. Don't complicate the game. Just don't clip that ball into where Pavard should be. Get uh, Ferguson, get uh, Denny running into that space, play off the second balls from there. And it was, it's just a little bit of a diluted message from Stephen Kenny that I think hurt us in the end. Look, it's an individual error. It's nothing to do with Stephen Kenny. But when he's coming out and saying, we're as good on the ball as anybody in Europe, if them messages aren't coming out, I don't think Cullen tries to play that pass across the six-yard box or the 18-yard box. I know he does that poorly. It's in his DNA to do that poorly. But it's horses for courses. When you're playing the French and you're going well, you don't want to give them any sort of encouragement. And it's fine margins at the top level, and we were done by by the narrowest the, the narrowest of margins. Sorry, but can I just I just pick up on that, Keith? Because I, I was thinking that, and maybe the two of you can put this to both of you, uh, Keith and Vinny. But you know the the mistake because some people after the game saying, well, it was settled by a mistake with Josh Cullen. You know that's what settled the game. I I don't really think you can take the pass in isolation. Because as you say, like the whole philosophy is we play out of tight areas. Maybe Stephen Kenny, I, I don't know this, but I'm thinking perhaps he suggested before the game, those areas are actually where we potentially could hurt France the most. Because if we turn the ball over when they're high up the pitch, that means they're maybe out of position. So that means if we can play out of tight spaces, we can hurt them. And a few times Ireland did that. So like... Is, is it, do you kind of just have to accept that this thing can happen if that's how you, you set up and that's the approach you take? Yeah, I, I take your point, Anthony, that we want to play in tight areas. We want to hit them on the turnover when we win the ball. But how you hold them when the high up the pitch is playing into the grass that's behind them, 
the little five, ten yard passes in and around the midfield, they're not going to hurt them because that's where they have the numbers, that's where they have their bodies. They want to press. Griezmann is for all his technical ability, he's a beautiful player. I love to watch him play. He's a nasty little fella and he gets around the pitch in the press and he's such a big weapon. And if the French are, are going to commit bodies to that press, just take that weapon away from them and play over them all the time. Just play over them, just play over them. And I think it was about two minutes into the game, uh, it was one of our centre-halves flipped the ball to Evan Ferguson running down the wing. Evan dropped his shoulder, whipped it into the, into the box and there was no other Irish player up there with him. And that's the yin and yang of the system that we have. But look, I, 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 hindsight's a great thing, but I think that pass, sideward passes and backward passes, when they get cut out, the percentage of them ending up in the back of your own net is lethal. So I would have just avoided that at all costs. And look, if, if that's Latvia, if we win the ball against Latvia in that position, yes, tic-tac and try and do what we can do. But against the French, don't avoid any pressure. And again, I, I, you don't want to look at it in isolation. It's just coming to the next one. I'm very reluctant to criticise him, but it's just in certain moments, the big, big moments in the game. Like, there was one moment in the game, and of course, it's hindsight again, is a great thing. We played a short corner, and the French came out and stopped, and we didn't put the ball into the box. And you're thinking, lads, the, the French are a big team, but the one thing they didn't want was that ball repeatedly coming down in and into the box, in and into the box. And eventually, somebody will switch off and we'll get something. And you're seeing towards the end with Collins Heather, we're throwing the screw, putting balls into the box. If we'd have been a little bit more like that, don't overcomplicate, get it wide, get bodies into the box, maybe we could have got something from the game. But yeah, it's a suicidal pass, really, from Cullen. Yeah, just coming back to the the result of that pass, which, of course, was uh, Benjamin Pavard's long-range um, goal. And this has actually been a trend. I think the percentage is now 42% of the goals conceded under Stephen Kenny um, have come from distance, which is 10 from 24. And the, the previous one was against Latvia, the Latvian first goal, uh, which was a beautiful finish. And it was something I put to Stephen Kenny last week when uh, there was an FAI announcement, just their partnership with Circle K. And it was just this this virtual event. So I asked him just in regard to the uh, long distance goal um, trend, what his thoughts were on it. And was it something like that was part of, is it something to do with like the tr back tree formations? Are they susceptible to, in terms of where the spaces are? And uh he talked about the the quality of the Latvian goal, but then at the end, he just said, maybe because we're an expansive team, that if we do give away possession, it gives an opportunity to the other team to hit it from distance. But it's not something we need to become overly fixated on. So Vinny, just on the tactical side here, in terms of back trees and where the midfield is in relation to it, do you see an issue there for Ireland? Obviously, the stats bear it out, but from your eye and what you see of Ireland in terms of these goals going in from long distance... Is there, yeah. is there a concern there that should be, like, you know, Kenny and his staff should be fixated on? Yeah, and, and this is the challenge of analysing last night's match because if you just take last night's match in isolation, you've got, you know, Harvard who's done it at the highest level, that, that type of finish. So you can you can put that one down to, oh, well, it's just a really good finish. The, the, the bottom line is Stephen is going to be judged over a period of time. He's three years approaching in the job. So... Um, last night's performance was a good performance, a uh, really good performance against the French side, but it's still marked down as another defeat on the record. And this is still marked down as another goal from outside the distance. And statistically, whether you like it or not, and football is not played in statistics, but when he is judged and people write the, the sort of memoir of his time in charge, this will be a team because we are constantly conceding goals from distance. So we um, are 
very expansive and I suppose one of the arguments people made over the weekend, I, I pointed this out last week about the goals from distance and, oh, well, Josh Cullen comes in. We've conceded a lot of them goals with Josh Cullen in there. Um, you know, I think I think my challenge with Josh Cullen is, that, yes, he's done really well at championship level, but he's, his next level for me or a player playing in that position has to make you tick and make forward passes between the lines. And uh, Franz pressed us yesterday. Don't normally do that. They pressed us quite high. They put us under a little bit of pressure. I don't think our distribution was that good from the goalkeeper at times was a little bit, he kicked a couple out of play or, or back to them or, or 50-50 balls they were. And I think um, we were under a little bit of pressure the other day and we need, your number six in modern day football needs to break the lines with his passes. So whether that was firing one into, into Knight or Ferguson and um, I haven't got the stats of the match yet, and I'll have them today. Um, unfortunately, but I'd be I'd be shocked if if Cullen made more than two or three passes into say Ferguson's feet, and that's a big problem on how we play. It's sideways, backwards, sideways, and that's fine at times, and um, that's where you need to be careful with stats because sometimes a backward pass is a good pass or a sideways, but um, when we lose that ball, we are so open. If you think about our two fullbacks or, or two two of our back three are out wide. So in the back four, you'd have two centre halves behind your six. Now you've only really got one because the other two are a little bit wider looking for the ball. And it has to be a major concern for the staff. Um, because as I said at the beginning of this uh rant I'm on is you've got to remember, take last night in isolation, brilliant goal by Pavard, and you can and the manager will chalk that down as it's just one of them things, it's how we play. But statistically, and the trend is coming that we're conceding too many goals from distance because we're too light in that um that number six position, and it's a massive problem, and it's costing us goals, and it's costing us points and performances, and um it doesn't reflect well on on the setup of the team. And yeah, just on that, just to follow that thought, then because I I took a kind of screen grab of um of the the moment Pavard goes to take the shot so I was kind of curious as to where the onus is then because Cullen's obviously out of position as you say is the onus then on the centre back to rush out now again he could leave space in behind because Pavard could just slip a ball behind him well, see the challenge with goals like that is um, um, people use the word front foot football or whatever this stuff Cullen's on the ball and he's in comfortable possession so your reaction I've never played fullback. Uh, Keith hasn't, but he'll tell you your reaction is, right, put the ball in front of me, your number six, roll it in front of me, and I run onto it. That's your reaction, and will be the same for your centre half. So it's front foot. You're you're moving forward as a as a team, and Cullen misplays the pass. So everyone then has taken two or three steps forward, and the opposition are coming onto the ball, and that's when you're under pressure. That's when someone like Pavard with his quality, but we've seen people of less quality do it steps into that space and uh, the laws of physics or whatever way you want to put it, you move forward and the opposition is, is moving forward. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. You're on the back foot then. And then it makes it, you're, it's very difficult to put pressure on the ball. And we've seen that in a lot of these goals. So it is, it's a, it, the, the ultimate mistake is, is at Cullen's door. And when he, he's not under pressure making that pass, he is comfortable. There's no one around him. And that sets a tone for the rest of the players. And that's where the problem came from, in my view. Yeah. You know as well, Vinny, if you notice, because I've heard some people looking at Bazunu for the goal, he had stepped out as well. He naturally well, stepped exactly. out as soon as Ireland won the ball back. Because he's like five yards off his line, I think, isn't he, when he actually, when Parvard hits it. 
Yeah, it's such a brilliant strike. I'm reluctant. I'm probably the biggest critic of goalkeepers. I'm reluctant to be. I felt Quivin should have saved the one from distance the other day. He didn't sort his feet out for the for the the one the other day. But it's it's about three four yards, and so it's not in the corner. It goes in off the crossbar, not the middle of the goal, but it's it's three or four yards away from the corner. Um, ultimately, if you're going to win games like that, your keeper has to make a whirly, and. He hasn't. And again, the point is well made. We're in good possession. He steps forward as a goalkeeper would, starting to go towards Zed's box, turns over and within a split second, he's on his back foot and it's in behind him in the back of the net. So, yeah, that's part of the problem when you give the ball away in from comfortable possession. Yeah, and Keith, you mentioned earlier in terms of Ireland's attack that it wasn't uh, that it wasn't perfect. Obviously, we have to take into account, of course, who they're playing against. It's a very good French team. Most of the chances ended up coming from set pieces in the last 10 minutes. The Nathan Collins one, which uh, Mike Menyang makes a worldly of a save, and the other one where Jules Kunde heads it back. And again, um, Menyang makes a really makes a really good save. But what was the issue in terms of the Irish attack, or what could they have done better? I know you mentioned as well there was the even in, in regards to the Cullen pass where he could have kind of clipped it into the space where Pavard should have been. But overall, where were what was what was the issue? Well, the issue was, <clears throat> I don't think we were putting too much chances on the attack. And that's fair enough because the, in these games, when you've got one of the best teams in the world coming, there's checkpoints in the game. And the first checkpoint was being nil all at 20 minutes and we were nil all and we were fairly comfortable in the game. Then the next checkpoint after that is the first five, 10 minutes of the start in the second half. You'll not concede a goal. We did, and we, we actually recovered quite well from it. But again, the next checkpoint after that, the last 20 minutes, make sure this game is still in the balance of our over. We were still in it. And then all of a sudden, we started putting the French under a little bit of pressure. And yeah, when Albeni was really good, and it, like everybody, Ferguson, Albeni, everybody was feeding off scraps. They did our, their, their work rate was good. Defensively, we had a good shape. But there was one or two times, one in particular in there, I think it was the fourth half, there was a ball clipped in behind. and Benny, it was probably a 70-30 ball and he goes and runs after and he ends up winning the corner. It was something he should have got nothing. And all of a sudden the crowd are up and they're into it. The little moments like that that would keep people on side. You know, sometimes the French are keeping the ball. People are getting a bit weary. But just little moments like that. They're, they're the moments you have to demand off your front players. You have to tell them, this is not a game where you're going to be dropping into the middle of the pitch and linking up and it's going to be neat and nice and sexy football. This is a day for the hard yards and pointing and grafting. And if anything comes your way, you have to be ruthless. And we did that. We did that really, really well. And like I said, the, the game plan, I would have thought, would be still be in the game with 20 minutes to go. We started to turn the screw. And if, if, if Mannion doesn't save that, that Collins header, we're all sitting here in an absolute dreamland. Because on paper, the French are head and shoulders above us. But we have that in our DNA that we can raise it. The Irish, we can, we can raise it against better teams. And we did that. And, to be fair, I, I didn't see this coming at all, Rafa. I, I thought we we play well, but we get hammered, if that makes any sort of sense, because the French are so, so good. But we restricted them. We did lose, but we take a bit of pride out of it. And please, God, just don't take a step backwards in June. Yeah, and in regards to Ogbené, Vinny, um, obviously that was one of the selection changes. Obafemi had started against Latvia um, and uh, had helped set up Ferguson's goal in that game. But it seems like the Ogbené selection was a masterstroke in that front too, maybe because his natural positioning at club level previous to this season was he was a wing back previously with Rotherham and that kind of fed into his performance as well. Yeah, I, I I didn't expect Obafemi to start. Um, I thought it was a I, I thought it was a show for Smallbone, 
uh, particularly how well he done because uh, and the reason for that was um, the last time France played against a back three was against Denmark in the World Cup and Denmark had geo success against them ultimately lost 2-1 but they geo success and Denmark played three uh, two sixes similar to ourselves but they played with two tens effectively like we would have had night and if you uh, Obenia had done that role to a point where he dropped into the four so Stephen was at that game and he did remark about it, saying uh, he does learnings from that game in the press. So I, I watched a lot of that game back last week. And uh, so that's why I felt he would do what he'd done. So the challenge with that was it left uh, Evan Ferguson really isolated. And also uh, over the World Cup, and that's what you can, it's all that we can gauge the French off over the World Cup. And um, even if you go to the World Cup final, where did Argentina really hurt? Uh, France, it was in behind Mbappe space. Messi would have came into that space, or Fernandez at different stages. So, um, I, I felt he would do something there. I didn't know whether it was a small bone or or a Chidozzi. And ultimately, uh, Ch- Chidozzi really caused Fernandez a lot of problems. And and one on one, he was very good against him. So tactically, as I said, it wasn't a shock to me, but it was really good by the manager. It's all right, seen it on video clips or whatever. But he took his learnings from being at that game live in the World Cup and, and took it into the game. So from that, Stephen deserves huge, uh, huge plaudits for. Um, ultimately, though, without the ball, we were we were a little bit toothless in attack other than other than um, that end and a couple of set pieces, as we said. So, um, and, and to be fair, I thought the deliveries from set pieces wasn't good. Um, in my view, a lot of them hit from post, but... The French are a massive side, a really, really big side. And um, although we I don't think we've seen the best of France last night, I'd say there's a lot of kids went home disappointed because they wanted to see the real Mbappe stand up and uh, it wasn't him. He was very quiet on the night. Some of that's down to good Irish play, but the French were in first gear after um, such a good win the other night against um, Holland. They were, they were probably in first gear. Yeah, I can't say I was complaining about Mbappe being quiet. Oh. In fairness, I was, I, was, uh, I was quite happy you picked that to be an off night anyway. But uh, Keith, in regards to Evan Ferguson then, um, and across the two games against Latvia and then against France. So France, naturally the tougher opposition, but obviously against Latvia, his first full start, sort of a dream dream day for him. He scores his uh, first international goal and that's kind of that any narrative about uh, waiting for first goal, that's all over and he can look forward. Uh, what have you made of his overall, I suppose, those first two full starts he's had, obviously on top of the, the two caps he'd had back in November? Yeah, I think it's, look, I, I'm not saying that new to anybody here. I think it's hugely, hugely promising. Taking the French game, look, he, he, he did what he could do. He, he like the first minute, like I say, when he gets down in behind, he whips that ball into the box. If he's playing for Brighton, the body's in the box there and he's possibly going to get an assist. He was, like Vinny says, he was isolated at times. And there was there was one one moment in the game, I, I don't know whether it was Uber Makano or Kanate, he put on the backside. This is an 18 year old boy, so the physical side of it is not a problem to him. He has all the attributes. And the Latvia game, like when you're doing the commentary, you're up in the gods, wrapping the Aviva, you can see everything in his movement to come into the middle of the pitch and drag the centre the centre backs with them. And inevitably, when the ball goes into his feet, Latvia would get narrow. And then we would create an overload with Will Smallbone and Matt Doherty on the right-hand side. And all of that was because of Evan Ferguson dropping into the middle and forcing them to get narrow. He has a very good understanding of what he's doing. 
And even the even his goal against Latvia, you don't just end up in that position. That's something that you're smelling, you're sniffing that out. And again, he gets a decent little whack on the shin after as well, but he knows as that ball is bouncing in the six-yard box, I can win this here, but I'm going to take a whack. He takes the whack and runs off and celebrates. He doesn't show away from whatsoever. So, look, Rafa, I said this many times, I'm very reluctant to put too much pressure on his shoulder, but I have to be honest, the more I see him, the more I like his temperament seems absolutely excellent. Walked tirelessly last night. He did seem to hit a brick wall, so we can understand Stephen Kenny taking him off. Um, but yeah, he, he looks like he's really going to be one for the for the present and for the future. All looks good, but we've all seen what happened to, to Connolly and Parrott, so let's just be a little bit patient with him and let him, let him walk his way in. Yeah, Parrott, who actually incidentally didn't make the match day squad in the end, which I think if we went back to the Scotland game last June, that would have been probably unthinkable at this point. But that's obviously how football works. Uh, Keith, just on the that relationship and that, I suppose that synergy between the crowd and the performance as well and how they feed off each other and maybe how consistently that might be a thing, maybe because obviously Gibraltar coming here in June as well, different sort of game probably less anticipation given the opposition, but what do you make of it in terms of how it can it can help Ireland going forward? I can definitely wrap it really, really does lift you. Like I've been retired a couple of years now and I went to the Latvia game during the week and you watch the players warm up, you see this the grass getting the sprinklers wetting and you're thinking I wasn't getting the itch. I didn't want to be out on that pitch. I was happy to be there to be analysing it, but I didn't want to play the game. As soon as the national anthem finished against France the hairs were standing up on the back of your neck. You're starting to get a feel that this could be one of these nights. And all of a sudden, the, the crowd was absolutely excellent. They really were. They were brilliant. And as we say, they were living off scraps in the game, but they stayed loyally. They kept the, the atmosphere bouncing. And it lifted the last because, believe me, sometimes it looks like the French players are a little bit laboured and not very quick. But when you're shifting as a unit from left to right, left to right, and the distance is up and back, up and back, and the mental strain to just keep tuned in, where is Mbappe, where is... Where's your real? Where is Griezmann? Where is everybody? The, the mental strain is, was top, top, uh, a top notch last night. So look, the lads were brilliant. They really were. So I think you can overanalyze it to death, but the one thing we need is that walk rate. The walk rate is the underlying thing. If we have if we had that walk rate against Lafayette, we'd have we'd have blown them away. It wouldn't have been a three-two scrape of win. And if, if we walked that hard against Griezmann's you know, which I understand is going to be very, very difficult because of the weather and the conditions, but we have to keep the ball an awful lot better. Possession will be at a premium, but the walk rate, the sweat, the desire is the one thing that can't be negotiated when you come to play for Ireland. And I, I, I don't want to throw, I'm not throwing that at the lads, but if you look at the Latvia game, and I know it's a friendly, if you look at the Latvia game and you look at the French game, the walk rate and the desire leaves a lot to be expected when you look at them in uh, together. So you need to, that needs to be the bare, bare minimum. Now. Maximum effort is the minimum requirement. Yeah, and Vinny, just in terms of those games in June, so uh, Greece uh, Greece away first, and as Keith said there, the weather, the heat is going to be a bit of an issue, which, again, it will probably change the way Ireland approach it. And also then Gibraltar coming here in June, which would be viewed as a massive opportunity, obviously, um, given the uh, given the opposition. Um, we've seen this movie before sometimes where um, Ireland teams in bygone eras have raised their performance against teams at France's level. We've seen it against... Germany with Shane Long's goal, Jason McAteer further back against the Dutch. How do you like? How do you gain those that kind of consistency where you do match up uh, regardless of the level of the opposition? And obviously Greece being closer to our level. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the key. It's the key for for Stephen's legacy in terms of how he's judged in terms of his role because. 
we have had some of these performances before. We we have played really well against Portugal. We 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 really well against Serbia, and we sort of haven't backed it up. And I think part of the challenge is, um, we haven't backed it up because that shape we played last night, and it's there's a slight tweet tweet uh tweet that in terms of putting two up front would make a bit of a difference from an attacking play. But the shape we played last night, or 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 the shape we use isn't conducive to loads of attack and football creating a huge amount of chances against the weaker sides. And that is a real red flag for me, um, and that is a concern. So when we look forward to the games that come, that you know, um, fans want to be entertained. And last night, the fans will accept. France will have 50-odd, 60% of the ball. Do you accept you know, that type of performance? But against Latvia the other night, didn't create a huge amount of chances despite the game. Um, and it's the teams, it's the Holland and France are free shots, free shots for the players. Keith will know better than me, but um, but playing in them games, they look after themselves. The higher the level, the less motivation you need to give the players, no matter who, who what level you're playing at. But the big games tend to look after themselves. The challenge for, for um, Ireland will be um, how did you break down the teams around us or lesser ranked to us? And you would like to think Gibraltar is a free hit. But, but nothing, nothing has worked out that way over the last little while. So, look, it's a the, the Greece game is usually difficult. I remember going to um play Larnaca in the Europa League game, and it was mid thirties. We played in the mid afternoon purposely, and uh, every tactic we work on, it it doesn't work. You ha- has to be slower. Everything about the game has to be slower, and it just makes it more difficult. And that's a really, really difficult game for us. And, and that's my concern. I hope the positivity of France isn't lost by a negative result um, uh, in the next game because it's it's a really, really difficult game for us. Yeah, and Keith, a final point um, just before we, we we move on to the League of Ireland and other matters. Um, would you change the shape for sort of home games against so-called weaker opposition and maybe go into a back four and then having sort of an alternative system that's more attack-minded? Yeah, I go. I think against the lesser nations are the ones who are a bit more at our level. I, I play to a four-three-three. I play Ferguson, or Benny, and maybe Mikey Johnson, maybe somebody on the left, maybe even an Femi up there with him. But the one for me is Ferguson's going to be up through the middle, and you you get pace and you get runners in around him. Yeah, that, that's the one criticism I have with Kenny. And look, I don't want to criticize the Irish team whatsoever because I take an awful lot of pride out of what they, uh, how they played last night. The one thing we played, we played Latvia. 134th in the world, and we play a three or a five at the back, whatever you want to call it. Quite a defensive-minded uh, formation. So when when France come, like Vinny says, the fans can accept that we're going to be on the back foot. These are world-class teams. We're going to play for moments in the game. But when when Latvia come, when Gibraltar come, we want to be able to cut them over. We want Will Smallbone on the pitch, and we we want players on the half going playing through between the lines. Like I say, it can't be just we have a plan A that we play football and that's it. It has to be horses for courses because we're not good enough. The only team I know, or the, the only teams I know of, that will just go and assert their dominance on every team are the ones at the real top, top level of the games. Your Man City's, your Barcelona's. They will go and they have a plan A and they play football. That's it. We don't have that type of talent. We don't. We have hard workers and we draft them. Look, there is a sprinkling of magic starting to come into the team. We can progress our play to that but at the minute when the big teams come lock it up restrict them like we did last night but when the lower teams come 
let's start trying to play a bit of football. Because if we can't be breaking down Latvia through good play, it would be nonsensical to play like that against the French. So, look, at, yeah, I, I, I would say change it up. I think horses for courses, um, depending on the teams we're playing. Yeah. And um, just, just a yeah. couple of bullet points, Raf, if you yeah. don't mind, before we, uh, we haven't mentioned Jason Malumbi last night. I know he didn't get man to match. His, he, that was a real, that reminded me of, of an Ireland performance, you know. Uh, yeah, he could have done better on the ball at different stages, but he left every inch of his body on the line. And you've got to do that against top sides. And he was remarkable at times. And some, sometimes we forget, because we watch so much Premiership football, sometimes we forget the quality and the consistency of someone like Alan Brown. He's a big player for Ireland. And when you talk about, he talks about home games and changing up the shape. If you're not going to change up the shape and the manager's saying, well, we can't do different things, then someone like Alan Brown as a wing-back or Chidozzi as a wing-back, as opposed to just going with, well, we have to stick Seamus Coleman in because he's a captain. Someone like Alan Brown nicks goals for us. Uh, Callum O'Dowd, we seen the other day, nicks goals for us. We've got to be, we've got to trust in those couple of players a little bit more and the big players for Ireland, even though they're not the, the biggest name. But what Alan Brown does for the team is he gives us a goal threat and we need more goals in a team. I think that needs to be to, to be noted. Yeah, and uh, of course the uh, the international break for the men's is coming to an end. But uh, Anthony, I suppose uh, international football doesn't come to an end. Uh, there's another window coming for the women's now as the build up to the uh, summer's World Cup comes up. So two huge games uh, very soon at the start of April, eighth and twelfth of April against the United States in Austin and Missouri, and uh, the build up for that pretty much starts now. It does, of course, yeah. Uh, the squad is named on Friday. If you're known names of squad, and um, possibly another new name might come in. Megan Finnegan from Everton. There's talk that she might be drafted into the squad. And as we know, Vera Powell has sort of given a few players their chance, um, in the last couple of months, the last couple of windows. So we might get a bolter for the World Cup. I, I was in Spain for the friendly against China in February. Yeah, you know, was it? It was a not a training match, but it wasn't. It was quite low key. I mean, there was. Very few people at the ground for that match. These two games against the USA, different kettle of fish. You know, you're probably going to have 40-odd thousand people at both of them, the number one team in the world. And, you know, after this window, the next one is in June. They leave for the World Cup in July. So not many more chances for Vera Pell to, to hone things or change things or look at other uh, approaches, uh, particularly against a team. Like we talked about Ireland playing France, you know, the Republic of Ireland women's team taking on USA is... is that, that equivalent, you know, they're so they're so good and they're so strong. And the, the big question mark hanging over Ireland is again similar to the men's team. It's it's the lack of goals. Like, are, are they able to sort of open up? Very very good defensively, very well organized, really solid shape. Um, but what happens if they go one 0 down in their first group game against Australia and Sydney? Are they able to change tact and open up and, and play a little more expansively? Um, to be honest with you, I, I don't know because in their whole qualification campaign, they only went one nil down. Uh, sorry, twice once against Sweden, who won the group, uh, and they lost that match. And the other game was against Slovakia, um, which they ended up drawing, but really struggled when they went one nil down. All the other big games, including the playoff in Scotland, they took the lead, so they could then defend that lead, which they do very very well. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they got on two big games now. I think they're all big games for all those players as well now because they're all trying to put their hands up and get on the plane. So it's a small squad as well. Yeah, but it's, it's, a, it's a 23, yeah, uh, 23 instead of, no, yeah, rather yeah. than a 26. So it makes it a little bit harder. Obviously, that also probably restricts the possibilities for a large number of uh, home-based players, which is something James O'Callaghan, the P-Mount United manager, 
was uh, talking to me about back at the launch at the start of the season. And speaking of the women's premier division, uh, on Saturday, a huge result for Treaty United, who had a really tough season last season. They won 2-1 away to Sligo Rovers, so their first win of the season. DLR Waves and Athlone drew nil all. Uh, PMAT United won 2-0 at Bowes. And then a big shock where Galway United won 2-1 away at the double champions, Shelburne. And uh, there's going to be midweek games as well. Uh, Cork City and Wexford Utes, they had, had a game that was scheduled for Saturday, but that was uh, that has now been rescheduled due to weather conditions. And then this Wednesday, there is Shamrock Rovers against Wexford. So that's going to be a huge game. Athlone against Galway, Bowes against DLR Waves. And then another massive game, P Mount United against Shelburne, two rivals who've gone toe-to-toe over the last uh, over the last few years. And then Treaty United and Cork City, so Munster Derby there. And uh, then moving on to the men's first division on Friday, Finn Harps and Cove Ramblers drew 2-2. Galway United beat Longford Town 1-0. Uh, Kerry FC lost 1-0 at home to Athlone Town. And then Bray Wanderers won 3-2 against Wexford. And uh, the uh, Treaty United-Waterford game was postponed due to a waterlogged pitch. But um, Vinny, there was a bit of news in, uh, in regards to Waterford. Aside from their game getting postponed, Danny Searle was, uh, well, they've parted ways with him after just five games of the season. Obviously, it's been a very up and down and kind of mixed start for them when they would have expected to be right up there with Galway at the top of the table. Uh, former goalkeeper Brian Murphy taking temporary charge. Uh, what do you make of the situation there? Yeah, it's it's a difficult one. I think the mistake made at Waterford was they should have won the playoff game against UCD. And um, I love UCD and I love everything they do, but... Um, Waterford definitely brings something to the league, to the Premier Division. Obviously, the, the ground is really good. Facilities are excellent. And they're another full-time club. So that was a bit of a blow. But um, And they haven't really recovered from that. Um, they've lost a couple of players. And by and large, the recruitment in the last year or so has been good. They found it difficult. And I think the fact that Galway have started the season so well has put them under a little bit of pressure. So... Look, they're a full-time club. They should be doing better than they currently are. And ultimately, the managers paid the price. Um, yeah, it, it is a difficult one. You feel really sorry for anyone that loses their job. And um, it's not, it's a, it's a horrible feeling. And Danny would be really down. But um, I think, yes, they're owned by Fleetwood. And I think the temptation will be to appoint someone from the UK, uh, maybe from within the Fleetwood system. But... Um, whether you like it or not, and there's no sense to this, you've got to take a local view of this to fix it, the recruitment. When you look at what works and what doesn't work, I think they've got to try and find someone locally who understands the league, can help them with the recruitment, because they've got great backup with the link with Fleetwood. Um, we've seen that with some of the players that have come in over the last 12 months. But uh, you need a little bit of knowledge and a bit of know-how to get out of that first division, and, and you've got to do something locally, I feel. Uh, because it's such a great club, it would be brilliant to have them back in the Premier Division. Yeah, of course, they had a really good cup run last season, of course, getting to the semi-finals and uh, almost, um, you know, pushed Cork City quite hard towards the end of the season as well, but probably just left it a bit too late. Um, in the uh, Premier Division, though, this Friday, it's uh, returning with uh, Pats up against UCD at Richmond Park, 7.45pm kickoff. Cork City against uh, Drada United, same time down in Turner's Cross. Dundalk against Shamrock Rovers, that's going to be an intriguing game. And uh, then the TV game on RT2 and the RT player between Shelburne and Derry City at Tolka Park. Coverage is going to start at half seven and uh, kick off at uh, 7.45. And then Sligo Rovers against Bowes on Saturday at the showgrounds. Uh, let's start with the TV game, Keith, actually. Um, 
and uh, again, it's uh, shells against Derry. Now, these are the two teams with the best defensive records, both only conceded three. Obviously, the emphasis of their games are quite different. Derry City are a much more front foot team. Shelburne have fewer resources on that front. But it does make for a very intriguing game, and I'd imagine quite a tight one as well. Yeah, and it's a, it's the same picture that the FAI Cup final as well, that which Derry won so, uh, so convincingly on the day. So, if Shelbourne will go there, we know what we're going to get from Shelbourne. The Damien Duff team will turn up. They'll play a similar five at the back that Ireland play. The, the two wing-backs, if they do vacate their area, they will get back to where they left very, very quickly when they lose the ball. They will have an, an attacking threat down the wings. They will put decent balls into the box. But like you say, you like to be able to try and hit teams in transition, especially teams that play with wing-backs if they move. But the recovery speed is really, really good. But... Dirty, the way Dirty moved the ball, the way they, they're probably one of the best in the league at, move, at moving the ball. I was very impressed with when I, I seen them play against Pats at the first, uh, the first game of the season. I know that ended up in a draw, but Dirty were, Dirty were maybe unlucky to get out of Richmond Park with just the draw. So, yeah, I, I, I fancy Dirty to get the job done, but by, by no means will it be easy. Shelburne will go there, they'll put up a fight. They could easily, easily nick a draw, if not win it, but I think Dirty just have that little bit of class to be able to put anybody in this league open. But, yeah, I, I just leaning towards Derry in that one. Yeah, and then Vinny, in terms of Dundalk and Shamrock Rovers, so uh, since the last time we spoke, Dundalk seemed to have turned a bit of a corner in terms of results and seemed to be pushing more in the right direction now. But uh, Shamrock Rovers, on the other hand, only lost once, but still waiting for a first win. And there's a good bit of pressure on them as they go to Oriel Park. Yeah, I think it's a, a really fascinating game because, I mean... There's no getting away from the fact the rover start has been so sluggish that um it's probably putting them under a little bit of pressure, um and internal pressure. I wouldn't uh, in terms of the group. I wouldn't say Stephen Bradley has a huge amount of credit in the bank and rightly so, but uh, to finish out the first quarter of the season, you've got to remember the three games and that's the quarter of the season gone. You've got to play away to Dundalk and away to Bowes. And then you'd like to think for their perspective, a penalty kick against UCD at home, I think is the next three fixtures. So um, it's, it's imperative that they get three points, I think, um, this week. Um, because as much as I think they're playing quite well, I've seen three of their games live and I've watched new, I think I've watched all their games at this stage. They're playing quite well. Uh, my only concern for Shamrock Rovers would be probably not creating enough chances again we go back to this, that system of trade the back. It doesn't lend itself to creating a huge amount of chances. But I see uh, Jack Bourne starting to find a little bit more form now and he's starting to come into games a little bit more. But they've had such a difficult start. Probably the last place they want to go this week is away to Dundalk, who by and large have had some great results against Rovers up there, even when Dundalk has struggled over the past sort of two years. They've had really good results. So it's a really difficult uh, game for them and for Dundalk it's a great opportunity they found a bit of form to be fair um, my concern with Dundalk was a lot of loan signings late in the window but some of them like uh, Pollock looks a really really outstanding player for them Had Hoban looks fitter than he's ever done Davis at right back looks one of the best full backs in the league and whether that's by a little bit of luck or hard work or whatever it is a couple of the loan signings look really good Dundalk don't have a huge strength and depth, but they've got a really strong eleven. And Rovers know they've got a real game on their hands. That's a that's a that's a fascinating game here on Friday night. So, uh, both will be looking to win it for different reasons. But Dundalk have had a great start if they win, and and Rovers have settled the ship if they win. So a lot to play for, and 
Um, I think there'll be fireworks up there on Friday. That'll be a big, big night. Is, yeah. is it too much? Is it too much, lads, to say if if Dundalk don't win at least one of their next two matches, which is very possible, like Dundalk, away, as you say, and then bowls at Daly Mill, like is that it then? Are they really realistically they could be out of the title race because like they've an awful lot of ground to, to make up. You're relying on favors. You got to be Derry. Like, there's very little room. Well, well uh, uh, be, before I let Keith answer that, just to say the difference is though. Um, Derry are still Derry. Derry are a little bit weakened at the moment. They're without McJanet, their captain. Conley looks like a long-term injury hamstring. Uh, Cameron Dummigan missing. Their, um, McElhenney had a hamstring as well the other day. They're back four. I don't think anyone is going to get away. I think there's a lot of teams that are equal as standard, and that will help Rovers. And you would have to say Rovers could win the next nine, nine games in a row, and, and and they could quite comfortably do that. So, no, it wouldn't be panicking about Shamrock Rovers now, but comes a point where the wheels can come off very quickly and it's very hard to get that back, you know. So it is, it's on the knife edge for them. They need a win badly soon. Yeah, and Keith, just on that? Yeah, I think the the big difference last season was Derry drew too many games and I think Rovers won it by maybe 12, 14 points, something around that mark. So that buffer that Shamrock Rovers had is starting to get eliminated now. So I think it's going to be a great race and we haven't even mentioned Bowles yet. I, I done the commentary for Pats against Bowles and I thought Bowles were absolutely outstanding in the final court. Defended really, really well. The only thing with Bowles is I think if, if you start bringing lads in off the bench, if you get one or two wins, maybe the level comes down ever so slightly. So if Bowles can stay injury-free and they play like they did against Pats, I think they'll be in the race as well. They're, they're about so we all expect Rovers to recover as well. But like I say, that buffer that he had from last season is getting quickly... Uh, quickly depleted. Yeah, and Anthony, just in regards to Cork City and Drada as well, I mean, um, Drada United as they did last season have been very, very solid, but uh, Cork City, five points uh, collected so far. This is a huge, huge game in different ways because they would probably see each other, they'd see each other as, uh, you know, direct rivals, I guess. Well, it is because you're sort of looking at going, who's actually going to go down? I think UCD, it's going to be a long season for UCD. So, you know, you think they're probably going to finish bottom at this point anyway. Um, But who's going to finish ninth? It's it's actually really quite tough to call it because Drada have been, they've been really good. They've been really good so far. They were very unlucky against Dundalk. I mean, they they deserved a point at least. That was a, I think, smash and grab. They deserved to say earlier, like they missed the penalty at the end, Drada. But generally they they were the better side on the night. Bit of magic from Tullock to set up the goal from Mali, wasn't it? It was, it was a really good goal by Dundalk, but overall they didn't play well that night, which I guess you'll take it as a positive because I think um, they've signed pretty well and it, they are going to get better. Like they're well coached side, so you know it's been really positive for Drada, but uh, Cork have also improved. You know they've settled into the league now. I thought they were very nervous in the first game against Bohemians. You know the cameras, the crowd, maybe maybe it affected them, but. Um, They've improved. Um, but who else? Like Shelburne are very solid. You know, who is actually going to get sucked back to that ninth place? So, yeah, uh, it's still early days, relatively speaking, but it is a big game. It is an important game because they'll both be looking at each other going, well, if we, if we finish ahead of them, we'll be okay. Because I think people are just expecting, you know, UCD are the team that are going to get caught drift at the bottom. Yeah, and St. Pat's for the moment, Keith, are sort of down there, but would be expected to, to push on. And they'll look at this game um, on Friday against UCD 
as an opportunity to to bounce back very quickly, get the first game um after a or first win after a, a three game or four game um run of sort of poor results in terms of picking up points. But I think as you said last season, because you tipped UCD to stay up, they have this propensity to, you know, spring a surprise or two. So this isn't a this isn't a foregone conclusion for Pats, even if they are heavy favourites. Yeah, nowhere, nowhere near the foregone conclusion. And um, that's that's what we all love about football, right? The fact that we never really know what's going to happen. Just like France and Ireland last night, we all expected a hammering, but Ireland do really, really well. But the one thing that's been really uh, that Tim Clancy and the Pats fans will be really disappointed about is the last uh, the, the last five games they conceded eleven goals. I know five of them were against uh, Dundalk, but they conceded two against uh, Sligo, two against Bowles, and then two against Rovers. You're not really giving yourself a platform to go and win the games from there. You need to defend an awful lot better. I, I'm doing an awful lot of the, the commentary at, at, at the Pats home games. So I'm seeing an awful lot of them. Sometimes the play is a little bit lethargic. They're, they're recycling it from right wing back to left wing back. and It's just too slow. And then you hit a big diag. It's, it's all sort of telegraphs. You know exactly what's happening. Tom Lonergan's working really, really hard. The ex-UCD player now, that's that same patch. He's working really, really hard. But at times, He's been really, really isolated. So maybe Tom Lonergan and an own boy up there together walking having a little bit of relationship and just, just letting Tom Lonergan ease into the league because it's a big, big ask. He's done so well at UCD last season to bring him into Pats and say, go and lead that line for yourself. And he has been feeding on scrap because he's not come into a team that's playing very well. Maybe just going to a two, two up top and maybe, the, the, like I say, the five at the back hasn't been gelling too well for me. But look, Tim knows what he has to do. They've been putting in an awful lot of work over the last week or so um, during the international break. And let's not forget, for as disappointing as Pats have been, they got a draw against Shamrock Rovers in the last game before the international window. So Tim will be just nailing that down. And that was a that was a last five minute uh, equaliser for Rainey. So that would maybe just pump a little bit of belief, a little bit of the feel good factor into the Pats dressing room. So I think it's a huge game, Rat. And I'm, I don't think Tim Pants can shy away from it. I think he has to be saying that in the dressing room, that lads. We're at home. We're playing supposedly one of the worst teams in the league. We need to get three points here. We've had a bad start. We need to start putting it right. Yeah, and finally, then Saturday, Sligo Rovers against Bohemians. Now, uh, Vinny, I mean, Sligo going, went into the international break with uh, you know a positive result uh, against Derry um, away from home, picked up a point, and have shown resilience uh, in recent times. Uh, and similarly, but maybe in a more spectacular way, Bowes have been on this really good run. But um, from your own experience, you know, where you do go into an international break with a load of momentum, and then you have that you have that break for a week or two, and then you come back. Is it is it hard to kind of recapture what you had before, or um, are there ways of maintaining that momentum? Ah, yeah, no, there's there's ways of uh, maintaining the momentum, and and sometimes, uh, particularly w- w- a lot of games coming, they they, they went sort of Friday Monday at balls. Sometimes you need to breathe as well, and and take everything off, and just get back into the training ground, and Declan will reinforce what he's done, and. You get the impression there's a real feel-good factor around uh, Bohemians around the dressing room at the moment, and you'd like to think that the players are, are sort of um, there's a good bond there. You can you can definitely see that. So uh, I, I wouldn't have a big concern about that. Probably the hardest part for them is they have to wait till Saturday to play. It's away in Sligo, and and Sligo's pitch at this time of the year can be quite soft. So, but you would imagine um, Bowls have very much what I would call. I'll be a two centre house for from Poland. They've got a real League of Ireland team that have a bit of experience about them. And 
Um, they know what it takes to go up there and, and get a result. But I must say on Sligo, uh, brought a lot of players in from outside of the league. I think seven out of ten came from outside of the league. But they've done really well. Their form has been up and down a little bit. They've got some good results and they haven't backed it up. But Max Mata has, has um, looked a hell of a lot fitter now than he has. He started the season really well. Uh, but people like Hartman has done really well and, and Brand Flock, uh, a, a fullback. Some of the players they brought in have done really well. That Again, that's a really interesting game because uh, Bowles' momentum now, if they win, all of a sudden people are saying, well, that's seven games. That's, you know, that that's a bigger sample size of, of how they're doing. So Bowles, if Bowles win, you know, you've got to get, you've got to get really serious about them and say, okay, they're in that sort of, top four or top three argument for Europe definitely at this stage after seven games so big big game it's it's about what Sligo torn up and is there because there has been inconsistencies with them so really good game ahead the weekend yeah and a lot of good games over the weekend across all the divisions of course as well so uh, as uh, as I said earlier the Shells and Derry game that's on RT2 and the RT player on Friday and uh, coverage starts at half seven, kickoff at 7.45. And that's it for this week's podcast. A lot gone through there and obviously probably in a brighter mood after Ireland's performance last night. So uh, we'll leave it at that. Uh, we'll be back next Monday with a podcast looking back at this weekend's uh, action. Uh, but Keith and Vinny, thanks a million uh, for taking the time this afternoon and Anthony Pine as well. Thanks, Thank Rob. You, Rob.